I'm Christina. And I'm Megan. And, and this, this is, is the, the Aftermath of Sex. So today we want to talk to you all about discharge. Discharge. Good stuff. The thing that is, you know, everybody has questions about. Yeah. What's in my pants? Seriously. What's in these undies? I know. Is it normal? Is it not normal? Well, we're about to dive in. Very good, because there's all kinds of things that can come out. You ready vaginas. for it? I'm ready. I'm okay. Excited. So discharge. Vaginal discharge is what we're talking yes. about here on this podcast. Um, is fluid or mucus that comes from the vagina or the cervix, and it's made up of skin cells and bacteria, as well as mucus that's produced by the vagina and the cervix. So um, the most common reason that women seek healthcare is for discharge. Really? Yeah. Huh? I didn't know that. So it's important to know what's normal, what's not normal, and when you should seek care. So let's start about let's start with what's normal. All right. Um, one of the things that I thought I thought was really fascinating. Did you think your cervix had skin cells? Because I never thought yeah. about the kind of cells, so, honestly. So I really didn't realize that either. And so when they're talking about, I'm, I'm holding up quotes because I'm like skin cells. I feel like the cervix is an internal organ that does not have skin, but that's what they call it. I was skin cells. thinking it would be like some type of epithelial cells or something. Well, I was like thinking that, that too, but there's, um, you know, there's an ectropian zone and there oh. it's all made up. Of, your cervix is made up of many different layers uh -huh. and it's, if, if you don't know, the cervix is the bottom of your uterus. If your uterus were a balloon, the cervix would be like the mouthpiece of the balloon, yeah. if you will. And so um, I just didn't realize that it was made up of, quote, unquote, skin cells. But I mean, hey, that's why we're here. Yeah. So um, the process is generally hormonally driven. So you'll notice that as your menses cycle is going, you'll find different types of discharge throughout. And we're going to talk about all of that. Um, so menopausal women, they have a low estrogen discharge is driven by estrogen. So menopausal women have very low amounts of discharge. Somebody who has started menstruating, um, to their menopausal type or time will, uh, discharge probably two to five mLs of discharge a day, which is about a half teaspoon to a teaspoon really? of discharge daily. Yep. That's normal. Okay. And of course this varies woman to woman and it also increases during your time of ovulation. It also increases one week before you start bleeding for your period. It increases in pregnancy of course, and also with any estrogen based birth controls. So, so like most of the time. Yes. So most of the time, which is why due to five mLs a day. Um, and generally it's clear. Um, it can be thick or mucusy. It can have a little bit of whiteness to it. So white is generally okay. Um, it's mostly odorless, but some people will report a small irritation from that discharge or even a small bit of odor that's not abnormal. 
Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's important to know that a little bit of odor is not a bad thing. As long as it's not a fishy odor. Right. We'll talk about that soon. I hope so. So the purpose of discharge is to keep the vagina lubricated, number one. And also it helps prevent infections like urinary tract infections and vaginal infections. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, well, that's all fine and dandy, Christina, but uh, what's abnormal? Right. So any type of discharge with the following symptoms would be concerning. Take note, people. Are you ready? Do it. It's a long list. Looks like it. So <laughs> you're cheating. You're looking at my notes. <laughs> so discharge with itching or burning or redness or soreness or foul odor or foamy discharge or green discharge Ooh. or yellowish greenish discharge mm -hmm. or pain with urination Ooh. discharge with and pain with intercourse discharge with abdominal or pelvic pain. All of that is concerning and you should consult your provider. It can be a plethora of things that are going on. And I'm going to talk about some of the most common ones and we'll talk more in depth later about some of the other ones. But um, if you're experiencing any of those symptoms, you should just go in. Just go. Yep. Just go in. Don't wonder. Just go. Yeah. So one of the most common causes of discharge is a yeast infection. I feel like many people are pretty familiar with yeast infections or if they don't know about, or if they've not had one, they've heard about it. Um, it's common for women who have regular periods. So again, our menopausal women don't get them as commonly or our girls that haven't started their menses yet generally don't because it's um, generally estrogen driven. So some of the symptoms of a yeast infection include itching or vaginal irritation, um, why are you looking at me like that, I'm Megan? Sorry. Do you have your story planned? My story? Go ahead. Start back up because then I'll, I'll prompt you to um, tell your story about the yogurt. You Shut up. I'm not talking yes, about you my are. No, I am not talking about my yogurt. You're not? I, I'm Fine. not, but you can talk about my yogurt. You tell the story better than I do. I don't even remember. Although I remember That's it was hilarious. peach and it shouldn't have been peach. Oh, was it peach? I thought it was strawberry. Oh, it was I probably something. Wrong. Anyway, we'll have to go back. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm just thinking about, I can't, I can't think about, talk about yeast without <laughs> like Anyway, okay. okay. So yeast infections are one of the most common causes of discharge that's abnormal. And women who are having regular periods are more commonly affected by yeast infections. Um, women who are not having periods like our pre um, puberty gals and our postmenopausal women don't get them as readily. They can be chronic or they can be very single um, times. So if you have chronic yeast infections, go in because there's many regimens that you can take that can kind of help that. Um, if it's just once, Bless you. Uh, many of people have it multiple times. So um, the symptoms of yeast infection is itching or irritation on the vulva, and that's the external genitalia, um, or the introitus, which is the vaginal opening. Um, you can have pain with urination because the yeast goes right by the urethra, and that causes discomfort, mm. and it can kind of irritate that area. You can have pain with intercourse. You can also have swelling in the area. So you just feel full in the vulva or the vagina. Um, the most common thing that women will report is seeing a curd like um, discharge. 
some have very little discharge. So it's confusing. So clumpy curds, clumpy. not all, clumpy not always, curds. not always the definitive. Okay. So it doesn't always have to be clumpy curds. Clumpy curds. Okay. Um, causes can include antibiotics. Mm. So some yeah. women are just really prone to a yeast infection after an antibiotic. And that's because antibiotics don't target a specific bacteria. They target generally all bacteria. So your normal lactobacilli as well as the bad bacteria. So it flushes out all of that good stuff and it keeps you at higher risk for a yeast. What is something you can do when you're taking antibiotics to help prevent this yeast? So um, interestingly, you can ask your provider to give you a prescription for uh, yeast medication. You can also... Um, you can also take over-the-counter probiotics, although there's not much research to support evidence. So really? there's there's a probiotic called acidophilus, which is supposed to regulate your vaginal pH. But when you look it up scientifically, there's not a lot of data or research to show or support that it's super effective. Really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. That being said, it's very little, limited, right? Because there's not a lot of people doing research on it. Right. And sometimes I know like if I'm taking an antibiotic and I sometimes start to feel like something's coming, I do eat yogurt with the probiotics or whatever's in yogurt. And that seems to help sometimes. Yeah. If you're having the cheese. Yeah. Like with it, only with an antibiotic though. Like if I'm taking an antibiotic, I mean, in my yeah. personal experience, <laughs> I'll yeah. also share somebody else's personal experience. So Megan's about to share my personal experience because I was dying one day with a yeast infection and it was the middle of the night and tell I was it. tell a girl, tell it just really, really having a hard time. It was very uncomfortable. And I was like, Oh, I think yogurt will help. Yeah. <laughs> Which it does in certain situations. Um, however, I only had strawberry or peach or some flavor which, by the way, has sugar, <laughs> lots of sugar, and feeds yeast. And so I put that. It was a, it was alleviating for moments, and then I was like back to the, the, the insane, intense. You're so funny. I, I, um, I can, I can't think about yeast without thinking about Christina's Christina yogurt and middle her yogurt. of the night. Yep. And so it's when we're desperate, we'll do anything. But what true. would have been better is in um, uncultured flavorless, mm. sugarless yogurt, okay. because it does help Megan. So that may. Yeah, it does help um, alleviate some of those symptoms, but it has to have no sugar, of course, right. because yeast loves sugar. Mm -hmm. It also likes uh, dark, moist places. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're going to use yogurt in the middle of the night, may it be plain. <laughs> plain. Plain yogurt. And I think actually the brand is Danon. Danon. Oh, is there, there's a plain Dannon that has no sugar in it. It's sometimes hard to find. I've, I learned that from one of the physicians I work with wow. because he recommends it really? to women sometimes. Yes. Okay. So the yogurt, it's a thing. It is a thing. I'm not just nutty butts, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely steer clear for the, the flavors. Anyway, yeah. we digress. Very good. I just, I just <laughs> had to throw you on. Okay. We all have moments. That was decades ago. It was a, it was at a least a decade. It was ago. a decade ago. I'm much older now and it smarter, was, but yeah. 
Um, yeah, that was. But funny. when you're desperate, I mean, oh, some yeah. women with when yeast infections will itch themselves raw and bleeding. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, and then they cause be, other infections. And then, right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, the other thing you, that you can do is you can get Monistat over the counter um, if you're starting to feel uncomfortable, and we'll talk a little bit about that um, here in a minute. So other things that can cause an increase for yeast infection is hormonal contraception, of course, caused by estrogen. Um, this can be from pills, patches, or the vaginal ring. You can have um, an increased yeast infection from contraception devices, so vaginal sponges or diaphragms, which they're not very common anymore, the diaphragms, but some people use them. Um, and also IUDs can cause yeast infection frequency. Oh, I didn't know that. If you have a yeast infection or any type of vaginal infection, when you put an IUD in, you're more likely to have chronic issues if oh. it's not treated prior. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, of course, a weakened immune system causes increased yeast uh, pregnancy, diabetes. So if diabetes isn't controlled, you have um, blood sugars that are elevated, you're more likely to produce extra yeast. Oh. Um, you can also get skin yeast with diabetes too, that can be really uncomfortable. And I've had some people come in with little slits right around their clitoris because their blood sugar is uncontrolled oh. and it's like skin yeast where the yeast just kind of cracks the skin and causes wow. pain. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, sexual activity, although that alone doesn't cause yeast infections, um, they're generally not found as commonly in women who are not sexually active. Oh, okay. That could oh. be because most of the time women who are sexually active have periods. I don't know if there's a mm -hmm. correlation there or not, but anyway, yeah. interesting facts. Yes. Um, how do we diagnose yeast infections? You ask. I do. <laughs> I do ask. So we look under the microscope and we can see pseudohyphae, which are strands of yeast that grow under the microscope. Really? Yeah. So if you're trying to self-diagnose, you you can potentially diagnose correctly. But a lot of times discharge, the symptoms are so similar that it's easy to misdiagnose yourself and then not treat properly. So women who have never had a yeast infection only self-diagnose correctly about 11% of the time. Interesting. Yeah. All right. And then women who have had one before, it's more like 36% get it right. So it's better when you've had it before because you've experienced it. You're like, right. I know what this is. But if you haven't and you've tried the over-the-counter medication like Monosat um, and it doesn't work, please go in. Right. Also, pro tip. Okay. No Monosat day one or three. Three, there's there's a really potent one day oh, I see. Okay. insert for Monostat. Okay. And it will set the vagina on fire. Really? For many women. Really? And then you're coming to see me for a whole different reason because you've taken this yeast infection medication and your vagina is so unhappy with the potency of that. Oh. Yeah. So does it get rid of the yeast? It generally does, but then it, everything's inflamed and uh -huh. hurts and it's uncomfortable. Right. So three day is probably even also not advised. Well, some people take it and it's fine, but if you have sensitive skin, a five or seven day treatment would be better. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Um, we already talked a little bit about over the counter, the mm -hmm. monostat. You can also get a prescription. So if you're like, I'm going on vacation, I am not dealing with this. 
I'm not putting cream up my vagina all all night for seven days on my vacation to the Bahamas where I'm going to be sexually active. That was going to be one of my questions. Can you have sex um, while you have a yeast infection or being treated? Well, so you can, but you're likely to give it back and forth. So it's unlikely to live on a man's penis for a long period of time because it's external. It's not dark. It's not moist generally. Um, But if you're frequently having intercourse, they might carry it and give it back to you. So you have to kind of take that into consideration. But um, you can get a prescription where you take one tablet and then three days later take another tablet. and Oh, like like orally. Orally. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that's prescription. That everything is a prescription. Over the, everything over the counter is vaginal. Everything over the counter is vaginal. Yes. Yeah. All right. Any questions on yeast infection? No, but I just learned some stuff. Good. Yeah. So moving on to the next common thing is bacterial infections mm. in the vagina. So uh, BV, we call it bacterial mm-hmm. vaginosis. Uh, um, BV. It is the most common cause of vaginal discharge in women. It's um, when there's a change in the number of bacteria within the vagina, the lactobacilla, which we were talking about earlier, that normal flora, if you will, or the good bacteria in the vagina, it is decreased. And that is when bacteria that is unwanted is increased. Okay. So why this happens, we don't really know. They think that it could be a sexually transmitted disease or they're, they're considering it more likely because it often is only in women who have um, sexual intercourse, but it's not like your chlamydia or your gonorrhea. Um, risk factors for getting it or being more likely to get it would be multiple sexual partners, new sex partners, um, douching, oh. smoking cigarettes. Really? Um, yeah. It can be transmitted from your sex toys if you don't clean them properly. Oh, dear. Yeah. Or from oral genital contact. Okay. So if you're, you know, if you're having fellatio and that can cause some um, pH changes in the vagina, okay. which then affects your bacillus count, which then allows bacteria to grow, mm-hmm. and then you get BV. Okay. Um, so the symptoms of this 50 to 75 percent of women are asymptomatic by the way with bb wow that's a lot a a very high number that is a very high number the most common symptom that women will experience is a foul odor that's fish-like and it's bad and this is like after they have showered and cleaned and and they've cleaned and they yes yes you're it's not a cleanly versus uncleanly thing it's It's a persistent fishy odor. odor. And it's more noticeable after intercourse. And it's also more noticeable after you have a period. And the reason is because blood is a high pH as well as semen. So semen is a high pH. And so whenever you add a higher pH into the vagina, who normally likes it to be acidic, you're going to have that buildup of those bacteria. Um, you also can have an off-white or thin discharge with BV, and you can have itching or no itching. You can have pain during urination or intercourse, um, but those are uncommon. So generally, it's the foul odor with a thin white discharge. But if you notice before with the yeast, the symptoms are very similar. 
Yeah. And so it's hard to tell them apart. Yeah. Yeah. So is there any risk of asymptomatic BV? There are some complications to bacterial vaginosis. One thing to know that it's generally not harmful by itself, but if you're pregnant, it can cause preterm labor. If you are undergoing an abortion for whatever reason, that could be a threatened um, miscarriage that occurred that actually happened. Um, it can be from an elective or it can be from a hysterectomy. What happens is you, with that surgery, if you have a chronic bacterial infection, it can cause an increased risk for infection at the, that surgical site. Interesting. So is it routine to test for this? It's not. And I think that it's not, again, because it's generally not a problem. And as a provider, you should really be honed into this. If there's something going on after surgery, that seems to be a problem. Um, as a provider, you'll also recognize symptoms if there's a bad infection and you're going to treat that. Right. You're going to identify it and say, hey, I should get a swab and look at this discharge right. that you're having. So yeah. um, the other thing that's fascinating about having undiagnosed BV or untreated BV is that it can make you at higher risk for contracting HIV or also spreading it. Wow. Additionally, it can increase your risk of getting genital herpes, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. Wow. So that's just another reason to be safe. Yes. Be safe. Go in. And like I said, in a previous episode, if you are engaging uh, intercourse with a new partner, or if you have any symptoms, always get tested, test before you have sexual activity, because it'll just keep you and your partner safe. And it's yeah. completely fair for them to ask you, don't be offended. It's, it's just better to know hundred percent. Totally. Um, treatment for BV is, is a prescription. You need an antibiotic called metronidazole, or if you have a, an allergy to that, it would be clindamycin. Uh, metronidazole is flagile. A lot of people will call it that. Um, how do you prevent BV? Yeah, please do tell. Don't douche. Don't do Don't douche. Do you know what douching is? Well, how about you share with the audience members who are unfamiliar with douching, since I think it's gone a it, lot out of practice that since is like true. my mom's generation. That is true. Who used um, to douche all the time. All the time. So douching is uh, not just the mean guy that you're like, don't be such a, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually a bag that they used to fill with warm water and they would squirt this bag of water but it's not usually just water it's got like, like some vinegar or yeah, something in it i don't even know what's in it honestly yeah. but any of it is bad mm -hmm. you can actually get douching kits like and so yeah. you squirt this into the vagina and it is trying to help the person who's doing it is trying to help themselves feel clean but really what they're doing is they're washing out all of that bacteria that's healthy and increasing your risk for bacterial vaginosis yeah so the the lesson is don't douche don't do it limit your sexual partners um and also if you're being treated for this infection with flagell or clindamycin finish your treatment absolutely you, because if it becomes resistant it's very hard to treat and that's for any antibiotic. Just yeah. PSA. Yeah. Um, public service announcement. Yeah. Finish your antibiotics. While you work with high schoolers. 
Thank God I have you in my life. I actually PSA. do PSAs this project. So, <laughs> Shoot. so um, another common discharge that we find is trichomonas, which is an STD. Um, and I'm just going to briefly go over it because it is a common form of discharge. And this is your green frothy discharge, y'all. Green frothy. Should if never... you have a foul odor, that's a main that's a main symptom. With green or foamy discharge, go in right now and be seen. It also can cause itching or burning or pain with intercourse. Um, in males, it can cause discharge from the, the penis um, or also pain or burning with urination for a man, um, and you need treatment, and the treatment is flagell or some other type of antibiotic, you should not have intercourse during your treatment mm -hmm. of um, any type of STD. You should always remain abstinent from sex, and your par partner should also be treated. Um, going back to yeast and bacterial vaginosis, that's not the case. If you have sexual relations with um during those treatments, it's not going to be detrimental. Whereas if you do, when you have an STD, it will be. And we're going to talk about all of the different types of STDs. I just brought this up here because it's a common abnormal discharge that yeah. needs immediate treatment. Immediate green froth. So have you ever, Megan, experienced someone who's accidentally left a tampon in? Well, I guess I'll share my own personal story. I was just telling Hot somebody dog. about this. You yeah. have a story? This was the only time in my life I ever douched, actually. Because oh my. <laughs> what happened? Don't douche, Megan. I know. This is like TMI for a lot of people who may be listening that know me, but whatever. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, it was many years ago and I was on vacation and I was on my period. And then I, I can't remember or whatever, but I, I, I developed this odor. And it was... It was Oh, no, it was like something had died and your vagina should never smell like that ever. <laughs> and I was just, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And so all I could figure, and I had been using tampons throughout this time sure. and I was trying to figure out what's going on. So I just went for a dive because I'm just like, is there something in there? Like it was not normal, but I wasn't having any pain or like, um, I just was having my regular period discharge or whatever. But um, yeah, I found the lost tampon. But oh, so you did have a lost I tampon? I did. It was lost. Oh. It, it was lost. And I kept putting another tampons on top of the lost tampon. Oh, yeah. And um, that and can cause an issue. It, it was. It was a, yeah. I mean, thank goodness I didn't get an infection. Yeah. But I could not get rid of the odor after I found it. And so I did douche that one time because that was the only thing I could think of to get rid of this odor. I mean, I had showered and I don't know what was going on. There, but <laughs> thankfully it Well, you probably up. did have a, a certain amount of bacteria oh, probably. because you had a foreign object in your vagina yeah. for a lengthy period of time. It was days. So it, it would have been wise for you to go see your provider. And these are things that people oh, don't want to go in for because yeah. they're like, I am embarrassed. I'm yeah. not going to show somebody my vagina. Yeah. And, but we have things that we do and we can like stop the odor straight away. Oh, well, there you go. There's little tricks. So the odor is really bad. Um, anytime you have a foreign body, tampons are common. I mean, they're not super common, but they happen, right? It's easy to lose. Up condoms. Oh, condoms. Those get lost up in there as well and mm -hmm. can cause the same type of odor. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we take a little, um, 
urine sample cup that has a lid. Uh -huh. We have it right there. So once we get it out of the vagina, we put it right in there and cover it up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then it's done. That doesn't always help you with your personal odor, but we can look at the same time to see if there's an infection happening yeah. that we need to treat, which would have maybe been better than your douching. Right. But I applaud your efforts. Did the douching help? It did. It was like an immediate It did fix. not help at all, I bet. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, no, it was terrible. But I was also, um, yeah, on vacation and yeah. not likely to go. Right. Sure, you're not going to go in. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a fascinating story. Yeah. I um, have a story. Okay. Of, not please. about a um, foreign object such as a tampon or a condom, but somebody came in and wanted to see me because they just felt something on their strings yeah of their iud uh -huh. and so they're like i don't know it's like i feel like felt something, something on is it. on it like there's a sponge or part of what? like her washcloth had gotten up and she wasn't quite sure okay okay so i'm going in not knowing what to expect yeah i'm excited and i look through the speculum at the cervix and i identify her strings and then i was like I actually did that. You and did. she's like, what? what? You shouldn't was, do that. I know. <laughs> well, it startled me because it looked like a spider was in the vagina. <laughs> and Is I said, I, no, it's not a thing. But what it looks like a spider. And I know this gal. And um, she knows me. Yeah. And so I, I didn't have my straight poker face that I normally can have. Right. And I was like, oh, it's not a spider. It's actually... <laughs> And I told her what I thought it was. And, she, and I said, of course, that's not what this is. Let me just get a closer look here. Right. And it was a clump of hair. What? Yes. It was like a hairball within the vagina. And she I was, don't understand. And I told her that. And she's like, oh, that makes sense. And I was like, wait. Okay. Then I was like, wait. Was it pubic hair? It was pubic it hair? It was pubic hair from really? her partner. <gasps> from her partner? From her partner. <gasps> Who is very hairy. And she's like, that makes sense. Okay. That is a really great story. <laughs> yes. And so um, it wasn't a spider. It was just hair. And so whenever there's something going on, just come in. And I might go, what? But so what did you do? <laughs> well, I took it off. You I were took, able, it was, it came I was off able easily. to take the hair off. Yeah. Take it, came off and easily. then she wanted to see it, which I thought was hilarious. I, she yeah. was like, this is so funny. Yeah. I want to put this in a thing and I was, show him. I was going to yeah. say, did she ask to take it home? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so come in if you have yeah. anything going on, because it's much better to know that there's not a spider in your vagina. Exactly. Listen, that's not going to happen, but... <laughs> Unless you put a spider. If you up ever there. find a spider in your vagina, please share with us. Please we, we send in the stories. Yes. Ooh, oh, we should have people send in their, their vagina stories. stories. Oh my gosh, vagina stories. Let's yes. do it. Okay. Thinking right here on the air. I yeah. love it. All right. Okay. So um, going back to other foreign bodies, there are some people that think that they should put soap with like inside the vagina and you really shouldn't yeah. you should only use water on the outside of the vagina you could use a gentle soap on the outside of the vagina but if you're we don't need to be rooted yeah. rotor rooting around in the vagina yeah. just leave the vagina alone it doesn't need anything but also spermicides can also cause um, oh. an increased risk of um you know infections in the vagina yeah, yeah. So the takeaway from this is if you're ever unsure about any of the discharge you're having or any mm -hmm. symptoms, don't be embarrassed. Go in. Yeah. 
you're unlikely to diagnose it correctly yourself. And we can look under the microscope. Oh, I didn't tell you how to, how to diagnose BV, which is really cool. Yeah. Tell me. So, um, diagnosing bacterial vaginosis, you, when you come in, we'll take a swab. Um, actually you should know what we do. We, we put a speculum in, um, we look around the vaginal wall. We look at the cervix. We'll take a Q-tip, long Q-tip like, um, and collect some of what we call the discharge from the posterior fornix of the cervix. So it's behind the cervix. And, um, we just kind of look at that under the microscope. Um, mm. uh, we can tell yeast, trichomonas and BV from this one, one swab. swab. Oh, yeah. nice. And the other thing that we do is we do what's called a whiff test. A whiff test. Yes. So we will put potassium mm. on. You don't smell it. You do. Oh. Yep. Okay. So what happens is it's, I think it's 10%. Um, hold on. I got to look. It's 10% potassium hydroxide. And you put that on your sample and you whiff it. So you put it up to your nose and you smell it. And it's a very potent fishy odor. And oh. so that's a positive whiff sign for bacterial vaginosis. Interesting. The other thing you do is you check the pH because the pH of the vagina is going to be higher when there's okay. um, abnormal bacteria. We also look for clue cells. So uh -huh. there's um, epithelial cells. They look like um, eggs when, and like smooth surface when they're normal. And these epithelial cells turn into clue cells when there's bacteria on them. It looks like peppered eggs Ooh, under okay. the microscope. Very cool. Trichomonas we see under the microscope. Okay. It's my favorite thing to look at. Yeah. Although disconcerting when you know it comes out of a body. Oh, really? Well, it's kind of like a, an oblong bubbly um, cell. Uh -huh. And this is a voice podcast, so it's going to be hard to see me, but the cell is like wiggly. <laughs> it's wiggly and it's got a tail that goes swish, swish oh. on its head. Like it's, it's either its head or its butt. I'm not sure which, but it's got like this little whoosh, whoosh, yeah. swishing that goes. So you see the tail moving. Oh, that kind of gives me it. Yeah. But it's very, if you go Google it, yeah. it's quite the little thing. I will. It's I have like, Google where's that. my vagina? Where's my vagina? That's what I think it's saying all the time. Where's my vagina? While it's wiggling around. It's while it's yeah. trying to find it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, and you just do that like at clinic? You get to yeah, so you come the in. And, yeah. And so we'll, we'll collect a swab. We might do a bimanual exam, which, um, you know, will, is two fingers inside um, on either side of the cervix and then um, a hand on top of the abdomen that kind of checks and feels for your um, uterus to make sure there's no tenderness either over the ovaries or the uterus. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, the other thing, actually, we can talk about that right now. Why wait? Why wait? Do so um, when you're doing the bimanual exam, one of the things that you really want to do is you want to check the chandelier sign. Yeah. What is this? So you put your finger on either side of the cervix okay. and we shake it. You shake the cervix. You shake the cervix because your uterus moves. Mm -hmm. um, and so you kind of shake it back. I'm not talking like vigorously shaking mm -hmm. it, but you're moving it. And with that movement, we're trying to look for cervical motion tenderness. And if you have that, that's a really classic sign of pelvic inflammatory disease. Okay. Yeah. And so if you don't have the chandelier sign and you're benign on your exam, your bimanual exam where things really aren't that sensitive, then it leads us back to our normal things like trichomonas, BV, um, 
yeast or gonorrhea or chlamydia is one that we check often because it's just an often, um, we see it all the time. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Any okay. questions on that? I don't think so. Okay. So we talked a little bit about um, some unhealthy things for bacterial vaginosis, but I'm just going to talk about unhealthy vaginal, vaginal things that can increase discharge. Okay. So douching, we talked about that. Yes, we did. Um, wearing panty liners daily can be oh, a problem. Why? Well, so when you are wearing a panty liner every day, um, you're, especially if you're not changing it very often. Okay. It's like if you're just one for the day yeah, or whatever. So you're, you're keeping the same thing on bacteria gets on that panty liner and has more of a chance to spread. Oh yeah. So Versus want, just being on the underwear. Yeah. Interesting. Well, depending on what type of underwear you wear, okay. right? So yeah. um, if you're wearing tight underwear or restrictive underwear, you're more likely to get in frequent infections mm -hmm. or if you're wearing thongs. Oh yeah. Ladies, the thongs, the thong, the thong, the thong, the thong. There you go. <laughs> Avoid <it>. those. Um, <laughs> did I just age myself? I yeah, probably, probably. Did. Yeah. Nobody knows what that is and they think I'm crazy. That's no, wonderful. I don't think also so. using sprays or powders They you see all of those, um, summer's Eve and yeah. all of this. Well, all of that has fragrance and if used long-term can create a problem. So really? you want to be really careful with that. Using um, feminine wipes can be an well, issue. Really? Like all of these things that people use to stay fresh. Yes. So Christina, how do you stay fresh? Water. You just took away all the stuff. <laughs> you shower. Shower. Okay. Water. <laughs> and also using your hand instead of a washcloth is going to be much better than using a washcloth and scrubbing okay. your vulva. Just okay. don't. Yeah. Just warm water. Because it's its own biome. It's right. gonna it's gonna cleanse and take care of all itself. of itself. And if you're adding foreign bodies all the time, you're gonna cause create you know problems. You're gonna create okay. an issue. Good to know. Um, so and that includes sorry that includes feminine wash as well. Or is yeah, that, I mean, so if is that made or well, it depends on where you're putting the feminine wash. So what if, if it's, it's on just the, on the outside, outside, that's okay. okay. If it's gentle and it doesn't cause irritation because really overuse of anything can cause irritation or a decrease of the good bacteria Ooh. that's going to keep the bad bacteria at bay. Okay. And so, you know, using unscented soaps, fragile soaps, um, not using washcloths, avoiding hot, hot water. Mm. Just warm water, um, wearing cotton underwear, not synthetic oh. or, um, what's it called? Yeah. Synthetic undies. Oh dear. You know, like lace and mm. things that love the bacteria. You're just um, shooting down everyone's daily attire. Well, I'm sure if you don't have a problem, well, fine. <laughs> but if, but you do, if you do go to the cotton, <laughs> go to the cotton, granny panties. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Um, and you know, really over time, Nobody cares about your underwear. It's true. Yeah. So, um, do we have to? We do we have time to talk about one more thing? Yeah. Two more, two more things. Okay. Okay. So, um, I want to talk about menses. Yeah. This is another form of discharge that comes from the vagina. Yeah. That's normal for mm -hmm. women. Yeah. Um, normal uterine bleeding with your period should be about every twenty-one to thirty-five days. It should last about five days. And um, it can have some cramping, but it shouldn't be overly painful. Um, that being said, there's variations of painful and there are things you can do. So 
Uh, just know that. Um, I'm going to talk about abnormal bleeding, which um, is intriguing and hard to figure out on many things because mm -hmm. there's so many um, conditions that can cause abnormal bleeding. So heavy periods are abnormal. So you should never bleed through one tampon or pad an hour. That's mm -hmm. too much bleeding. Um, if your bleeding lasts longer than seven days, that's an issue. Okay. Um, bleeding between your periods, mm -hmm. breakthrough bleeding, that's abnormal. Um, any bleeding after intercourse, which I talked about earlier, that's an issue. Um, a lot of people wonder, what's the difference between bleeding and spotting? Well, bleeding has a flow and requires you to wear something like a panty liner or a pad. Spotting is when you dab with your tissue and there's something on your tissue or there's a little spot on your underwear. So there's a difference. Um, you can have abnormal uterine bleeding if your cycles are inconsistent. So if one cycle is um, five days and the next cycle is 14 days, that's abnormal. So anytime they're um, abnormal and they change in length by seven to nine days, that's an issue. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, not having a cycle for longer than three months is concerning and you should see your provider for that. Um, the reason why is because your endometrial cells are meant to, to, um, be expelled, expelled to every month. And if you're not, then you can cause proliferation of the cells and can cause cancer. Okay. What about, um, Using birth control, though, that suppresses. Yeah. I'll talk to you okay. about that. Perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. So, well, we could. Yeah. I'll talk to you about if you're not trying to prevent or suppress menses. Okay. That's when it's a problem. Very good. If you're on any type of birth control or um, have a device, birth control device that prevents menses, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Um, so bleeding after menopause, which... Um, is a problem. So if you've not had a period for 12 months and you are in menopause, that's the diagnose, like that's the criteria for being in menopause. And then you have bleeding that's abnormal and should always be looked at. So um, periods may not occur regularly for young girls. So in your, in your puberty topic yeah. talk, we talked about how like it can be irregular for mm -hmm. young girls. You might have one period and not have a, a period for another year. And that's common and normal right? from nine to 14. Okay. Okay. Perimenopause. So um, about 50 years old, you can have really heavy, weird, irregular periods. Mm -hmm. And that's really normal when you're going through perimenopause. So just kind of those are the two outliers for those abnormals, right. if you will. Um, causes of abnormal bleeding can be hormone imbalance, like anovulation. So you're not ovulating mm. at all. Okay. Um, hypothyroidism or thyroid mm. disease. Polycystic ovarian syndrome can be an issue. And obesity, because you have higher levels of estrogen when you're oh, obese. And so, um, yeah, it can affect all of your... I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, structural abnormalities like polyps or fibroids mm -hmm. or adenomyosis. Mm. That's where the endometrial cells go into the uterine muscle. Oh. Those can all cause um, issues for abnormal bleeding. Interesting. Yeah. Precancer or cancer like uterine, cervical, vaginal, or epithelial or ovarian. Mm. All of those can lead to weird bleeding. Okay. Um, infections like we talked about, mm -hmm. trichomonas, cervicitis, chlamydia, gonorrhea. Mm -hmm endometritis oh. and vaginitis like your yeast 
um, or bacteria. Um, other conditions that can lead to abnormal uterine bleeding would be like von Willebrand's disease, which is a mm -hmm. clotting dis or bleeding disorder, mm -hmm. liver disease, kidney disease, pelvic inflammatory disease that we talked about earlier. Interesting. Leukemia. I had no idea. Yeah. Things like liver and kidney disease yeah. can cause vaginal bleeding. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. As well as ectopic pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, medications that can cause weird abnormal bleeding would be aspirin mm -hmm. because it's a blood thinner. Um, hormone replacement therapy, um, IUDs can cause very irregular bleeding, mm -hmm. especially when you first put them in, um, and birth control pills. Okay. Other things, um, trauma or to the region, of course, mm -hmm. obviously, um, or IUDs that you forget to take out. And believe me, there are some people that forget to take out their IUD uh -huh. <laughs> because it's just floating around. It's not really floating. It's placed it's and you forget it. And that's the benefit of it, but you can't forget it forever. Right. Well, then they stop working too. Well, they do stop working and some people don't care about it because they've reached this age. Oh, I see. So some women will use an IUD to handle that um, perimenopause oh, bleeding that's so irregular yeah. and heavy. And then they go through menopause and they don't need it anymore. And so then they just forget about it's it. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. It's just so me. don't forget your IUDs. Okay. Um, so when you come in with abnormal bleeding, we start with testing, like and some of the tests that we do is not all of them at once, but it's kind of deduced by symptoms, mm -hmm. of course, but um, a pregnancy test. So yeah. miscarriage can cause abnormal bleeding. Um, and you can test positive after a miscarriage for about 35 days with a urine test. Oh, really? No, mm -hmm. oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, your HCG levels are high wow. for about 35 days. Interesting. Yeah. Um, light bleeding can be normal in the first trimester of pregnancy, and we're going to talk about that later. Um, blood tests. So we can do a complete blood count. We can make sure your thyroid is functioning appropriately. We can check your hormones. We can make sure all of that is going well if you have abnormal bleeding. Um, a hysteroscope, mm -hmm. they go in and um, it checks the lining of the uterus and the endometrium, and it looks for polyps and fibroids and signs of cancer. Okay. So when I had an IUD, well, I still have one. <laughs> Little side story. Um, my IUD strings went up into my cervix oh. and then went up into my uterus. Okay. So my IUD was still in the right place, mm -hmm. but they took a hysteroscope, which is a little camera on the end of a little graspy thing. And they went in through my cervix and they went around and they could find so that my IUD. See. Yeah. Cause was, you couldn't find your strings. Couldn't find the happened? strings. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't know that they were missing, but I went in for my exam. Sure. They're like, well, your strings aren't there. And okay. I said, well, I'm not having any periods. So I'm sure it's in the right place. But mm -hmm. then I did an ultrasound and it was in the right place. Right. Um, and so I just waited until it was due to be removed and put another one in. Um, so we had to take that and get it out um, with the hysteroscope. Mm. Funny story. There was a knot on one of mine, my strings. Wow. And um, so the physician that I work with is a male who's not easily embarrassed, uh -huh. right? Yeah. And so there's a knot like if you would take a, a cherry stem and tie it. Yeah. And, and I was under the influence of drugs. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is, <laughs> because when you yeah. go up through your cervix with a, a scope, it's you, painful. It's, it's uncomfortable. So I had IV sedation, but I was like, dang, I didn't know my husband was that. I knew it was good, <laughs> but I didn't know it was that good. And so this doctor that I work with, he was like, 
she's talking, give her more meds. <laughs> and I just remember, like, um, his face was all red. I and bet. Very, seriously. It was so funny. I'm sure it was just because he knew you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that was, like, for sure. For, for sure. for sure. But it was kind of funny. Oh, but anyway, oh, that's what they would do. They, they're able to see so much. It's very fascinating. It's really it cool to look at. Yeah, very cool. Um, another thing that they might do is an ultrasound. And maybe before a hysteroscope, they would do an ultrasound. And that can look for polyps mm -hmm. and uterine fibroids any abnormal growths. It can also check your ovaries for, you know, cysts and things mm -hmm. like that that might be causing pelvic pain. And then there's something called an endometrial biopsy where you go in through the cervix like you would if you were sounding a uterus, which is where you measure how deep oh. it is. Um, and then as you're pulling this, this um, endometrial biopsy tube out, you're suctioning off the endometrial lining as you're pulling it back. And you can get a little sample of the endometrium okay. and send that off to see if it's cancerous cells that you're getting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then there's a sonohistography, which is fluid that's placed into the uterus through a thin white tube and they image what's in there so they can see where the fluid is and how oh. it's patent and okay. what's going on in there. They can also use an MRI and, of course, CTs. And those are more involved in if there's a really bad problem going on. But I just wanted to touch on a little bit of it. Yeah, very interesting. Treatment. So you were talking a little bit earlier about birth control. And if you have abnormal uterine bleeding, one of the first things to do is try to, you know, depending on what it is mm -hmm. and what your other symptoms are, is to kind of control that with maybe some hormonal birth control. Um, it can help irregular bleeding or heavy bleeding that's caused by ovulation, PCOS, or fibroids. Um, the combined oral contraceptions have both estrogen and progesterone. Those are things like the pills, the patch, the ring. They can lighten your bleeding or regulate your cycles if they're abnormal. Um, or if you could take them continuously, like you were mentioning earlier, then that can make you not have a period, which a lot of people love Prefer. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can take progesterone-only contraception like IUDs or pills or the injection, and they cause bleeding to generally completely stop by one year. So there's a lot of irregular bleeding right at the beginning, but after a year, many people don't have any bleeding at all with those. Yeah. Um, Gonadotropin-releasing hormone mm -hmm. agonists, those are used to help um, stop the menstrual menstrual cycle and reduce the size of fibroids. So oh. women who have really large fibroids causes really generally painless, heavy bleeding. Mm -hmm. um, it'll shrink the fibroid and then you can go in and surgically remove them. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So it's a short cycle. So it's only six months. Um, so you don't, you don't take it longer than that. And when you stop taking it, your fibroids are generally going to grow back mm -hmm. to their original size if you don't remove them. Um, yeah. Tranexamic acid. Mm, oh, really? Yes. So you can prescribe it orally. We give it in labor and delivery for women who are having postpartum hemorrhage or if we want to prevent a postpartum hemorrhage. Um, but you can give it each month orally at the start of a period and decrease the heaviness of your menses. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, NSAIDs like ibuprofen, they can control heavy bleeding. I'm sorry I cut you off. I didn't mean to. No. You're good? Okay. Um, and also, um, you know how clotting disorders are also a cause of irregular bleeding, mm -hmm. treating the clotting disorder itself. Sure. Or if your bleeding is caused by an infection, treat the infection. Right. Easy. Whatever the underlying yeah. cause is. And then um, cervical or surgical treatment 
Mm-hmm. There's multiple different things. So there's endometrial ablation mm-hmm. where they essentially um, destroy the uterine lining by scalding it. So mm-hmm. pregnancy is hard to achieve after this. You want to make sure you're done having babies. Um, uterine artery embolization, which is where they um, the vessels to the uterus are blocked. And so it stops blood um, from going to the fibroid, so they can't get as big. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then, well, um, does it cause so? But the uterus still needs to be perfused. Yes. So it only blocks the ones that are going to feed those. feed the mm-hmm. fibroids. Okay. And I don't know how that works ex- exactly because sure. I didn't look it up, but um, theoretically. Yes. yes, that makes sense. Um, and then the myomectomy is um, a surgical removal of fibroids itself. So if you don't want to get rid of your uterus, you can just go in and take care of the fibroids and they can cut those out. Or there's a hysterectomy where they remove the uterus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, questions on any of that? Abnormal no. bleeding? No, that was really good. Okay, so I'm going to move on. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready. We're going to dive into mucus. Mucus. We all have mucus. Mucus is a good time. Mucus is wonderful. Yeah. It's part of the discharge. Remember, we all have right, discharge. Right, we all have it. About two to five mLs it's of discharge. Quite a lot in one week. It's, it's a day. I know, but I mean, you add it up, then how much is that? <laughs> yes, I That's thought like, you. Uh-huh. What, 14 to 25 mLs a week? Yeah. I mean, that's I like mean, a couple big syringes. That's, that is a medicine cup full. Seriously. Yeah. So, um, again, cervical mucus is from, it's made from the cervix and it's released by the cervix and hormones cause the mucus to change in texture and volume and color mm. throughout your whole menstrual cycle. Yeah. So I've broken down the menstrual cycle into the 28 days, which is a typical but it's not everybody. So sure. I just want you to know mm-hmm. um, that your mucus will fluctuate near and around your ovulation, essentially. So on a normal 28-day cycle, day one to four, you're going to have dry, tacky, thick, white or yellow tinge dis- discharge or mucus. Okay. Okay. On day four to six, you're going to have a slightly damp white discharge. Okay. Day seven to nine, it turns creamy or yogurt-like in consistency, not because you put yogurt in the Very vagina, good. Megan. Thanks but for clarifying Because that. it just makes it like <laughs> that. And it's wet and cloudy. Uh-huh. Okay. And day 10 to 14, it's stretchy and resembles like um, raw egg whites. Okay. It's slippery and is very slimy like very wet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Day 14 to 28 is generally dry until you start your menses. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So there's something called spin barkite. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I am and really, really excited to hear about this. So it's just basically mucus and how much it stretches. Right. Yeah. So, um, it's the mucus that's stringy, stretchy, and it's found near the time of ovulation and it's resulted because of an elevated estrogen. Um, level and the egg white consistency of this spinbarkite mucus. Spinbarkite. Yes. Barkite. It allows for sperm to penetrate through to oh. then um, allow for okay. egg fertilization. Interesting. Yeah. So it facilitates the sperm. Yes. Hmm. Yes. So on the last day of spin barkite, so this can happen and the actual stretch changes over the four days of ovulation. And so 
And the last day is the day that generally coincides with the day that you ovulate, which your egg is good for 24 hours. And 80% of the cases of ovulation happen on that last day of the longest spin oh, bar kite. Wow. So if you learn your mucus, you'll know when you ovulate. I, yeah, I was going to say, learn your yeah. mucus. So um, that is the day that, of course, conceiving is your highest. Um, sperm live for three days, your egg lives for 24 hours. And so you have a small window to achieve pregnancy if that's desired. Um, so I already said that ovulation generally occurs around day 14 on a 28 day cycle. So if your day, if your cycles are 30 days, then you're, you're going to move yourself up, um, to like day 15 or 16 is your ovulation day. Um, your mucus has two jobs. It's to either help sperm move through the cervix to allow fertilization of an egg, or it prevents sperm from getting through the cervix yeah. or other substances. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it can help prevent infection going into the uterus, which yeah. is super important. It is. Um, changes to the mucus are caused by several different things. It can change significantly in pregnancy. And we'll talk about mm -hmm. mucus plugs mm. yes, later in life. Um uh, breastfeeding can cause a change in your mucus. Um, sexual lubricants, of course, can kind of change that. Hormonal birth control, STDs, vaginal infections like beefy or yeast mm -hmm. can change what your mucus is. Surgery to your cervix can oh. change how things are because that what produces your Great. mucus is different. Mm -hmm. um, medications, stress, and diet changes can oh. all affect how your mucus is. Interesting. So do you know how to check your mucus, Megan? No, but I am really, really excited to hear <laughs> about how to check You're my mucus. You're saying that so excited. No, I really am. I've been <laughs> looking forward to this. Yeah. So you have to be comfortable touching your body. Uh -huh. um, the most effective way is if you put your finger into your vagina and you pull it out of the vagina after rubbing the walls of the vagina and you can look at your mucus. Okay. And then you use another finger, probably your thumb and your forefinger. And you see if it's stretchy or what its consistency okay. is. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. And so um, if you stretch it and it's, you know, if you can get a good two or three inches, that is really a good sign that you're ovulating, ovulating. or near ovulating. Okay. And if it's just small and it's like kind of stuck to your hand as tacky, you're not in your ovulation. Wow. Yeah. And so... You can look at your underwear, but it's not a really good definitive thing. You can use paper towels. So some people don't want to touch their mm -hmm. mucus and I don't blame them, but yeah. touch your body, yeah. touch your body, touch your body. You can wash your hands. Um, but using toilet paper, it will absorb some of it. So you right. lose some of um, its reliability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, many people who are trying for pregnancy or want to become pregnant will check their mucus. Yeah. So they know the best time to achieve this. Other people will check their mucus to avoid pregnancy yeah. and it's called natural family planning. Mm -hmm. So you're doing all these different things and we'll have a whole episode on that because that's a very deep topic, yeah. but they, with other things, mm -hmm. will check their mucus. So there yeah. you have it. Okay. That is it today. That's really cool. Yes. All the discharge. Discharge all of the things. Yeah. Bleeding, all the things that can come out of the vagina. And mm -hmm. I'm sure I didn't mention all of it. But by the time, you know, next year, I think we'll have mentioned a lot. All of the things. Of the things that will come out of the vagina. So if you guys have questions, if I did not answer a burning question that you have, please write in. Yeah. And um, 
I will try to answer as best as I can. And if I don't know the answer, I will research because probably I'm interested in the answer as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, y'all. We need you, our wonderful and fabulous listeners. If you would like to submit your birth adventure, your vagina mishap story, or the what the fuzz just happened to me story, go to www.theaos411.com. You'll be able to select the type of story you'd like to submit right there. Remember, these stories can be anonymous. So if it's a great story, but you want, don't want to share your name, that's all right. So you just let us know. Ask us any burning questions you might have. Also, hit us up on Instagram at the AOS411 or Facebook at The Aftermath of Sex. We also have Twitter at The Aftermath Sex, but we really don't know how to use that. So you can go ahead and hit us up there and maybe we'll figure it out eventually. But right now, it's pretty bleak. Don't forget to support us by hitting like and subscribe and share us with all your friends because likely they're just as cool as you. We hope you feel enlightened today. Bye. Bye. Oh, yeah. Bye together. Sorry. Forgot. Okay. Yeah, oh. that's great. Well, we weren't Hold recording. on. I haven't stopped. No. It's recording? Yes. Oh, <laughs> shit. I didn't realize that. We hope you feel enlightened today. Bye. Bye. How did that sound? It's so oh.